So uh, I've had a great summer so far, a lot of time on the water, and you mentioned that I am I am salty, um, as I probably alluded to here, that I swim almost every day in the ocean. And finally, although PJ was wishing that a shark would eat me, uh, finally the odds caught up to me. And for the first time, and I've been doing this for years now, for the first time ever, I got stung by a jellyfish. Wow. I had never been stung by a jellyfish. How big? Uh, how, I couldn't see it. So my, obviously my eyes are closed at salt water, so I'm swimming with my eyes closed, you know, doing my head out of the water breathing technique and just did a forward stroke with my left arm. And as it came down, it felt like I was putting my arm through barbed wire. It was like the immediate pain. And I'm soft. I mean, I have no pain threshold whatsoever. Yeah, what's the pain level? Unbearable is what we'll call it. Again, I'm soft. If you go to the doctor's office and there's a scale of one to 10, like where where are we on that scale? Unbearable. Uh, unbearable. You're at a 10? It was a 10. I'm soft, man. I I don't take pain well. I don't ever put myself in a position to be in pain. Physical or emotional pain? About to leave. Already packing, come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. What about this? This call is being recorded. Fans, we are back for another edition of the Roundup, catching up on the headlines and results from the professional tour. I'm Connor O'Malley, and I'm joined today with Bill Buckingham. Welcome. Connor, awesome to, to be back. Yeah, it's been a minute. It has huh? been a minute. Very excited to be back. Um, long month of August off, we're, as 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 we talked about in the preamble. Um, we're not French, but we still took the month of August off. So it's a uh, it's it's nice. I, w- I wouldn't wouldn't mind being French. Well, we should also uh, quantify that. I took the month off of recording, uh, not from all the other stuff we got going on. <laughs> so, yeah, that's you. <laughs> yeah, that is me. I'm not the king of vacation. I, like I am you. absolutely the king oh, of vacation. Yeah. Hey, where is um where's PJ? He said he's going to be joining. Oh, so I'm, I'm looking at our WhatsApp thing. Remember, because we were supposed to record this last week, and PJ said, "Hey, I can't, but I'm available Saturday morning at 9 a.m. your time. Let's do let's let's postpone the recording from earlier this week that we wanted to do and wait for PJ. And where PJ? Where are you? I'm looking looking on looking on the. I don't see it. Let me see. I'm looking at my WhatsApp. Oh, today I missed this. Chaps, I've had something come up last minute, so can't do tomorrow or Sunday. Unfortunately, could you possibly do Monday at noon? Uh, no. That's a no, PJ. Shocking. Well, that's actually not a no from me. So that's a no. Uh, from you me. and PJ go for it on Monday at noon because you know at Monday yeah. at like ten a.m. your time you'll get the WhatsApp from PJ. Chaps, yeah. something uh, yeah. for somebody who literally doesn't work, literally is off forty-eight weeks a year. More things come up with PJ than any human being ever. In those in those four yeah. weeks that he works, he has to be the busiest person ever with this, all this stuff coming up. <clears throat> You know, I think all the time that you spend in the water has made you a little salty. Uh, oh, so, uh, good. So, so that's a that's a good segue, Connor, into our um, wh- what did you do last summer? Where we banter and tell people um, who are list- tuning in for this about squash, where we tell them about what we did this past summer and why you know it kind of regale them with our tale. So that is a good segue. Should we should we t- should we tell them quickly about what we're going to cover? So like people know what we're going to cover later on because we know we're going to do the summer roundup. Summer roundup. Okay. Why, well, why don't you t- tell them quickly what we're going to cover here? That way they know. I don't know if anybody's aware, but the 2023-2024 PSA squash season kicked off last week with a, a bronze event in uh, Canada. But the real t- tour starts this week where all the great players are in France, in Paris, France. In uh, France. Class- new event, on, new the event on the calendar. Dropped a glass court uh, at the Eiffel Tower. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about who, what players to look for this year on the men's and women's tour Maybe touch on. Did you know that Mustafa Saul got just got banned? 
Did you know that? I did. Shocking, I did. shocking news. Just stun, stunning news, like stunning news. Uh, and yeah, no one could have predicted that. And some forty-two-year-old Pakistani guy won the World Junior Championships, apparently. So, um, so we could we could touch on that if you want. <laughs> so, Good yeah. Stuff. So, um, and and maybe maybe our favorite topic also. Um, it is fall now, and I we we believe that the Olympic decision is coming down the road in October. So I just had a couple of questions and no one is able to answer them for me. And I've done some really deep research so we could touch on that also. What would be the format of those Olympics and how would selection work? So, which I think would be the, well, we'll talk about, we'll talk about it then. But first, let's talk about Connor. How's your summer been? Well, I mean, you're, you're the king of summer, so I want to hear how yours is going. You know, mine's going to be. Yeah, yeah. you're going to you're going to like you, you watched the Brian Brothers doubles on tape. And that was like your highlight of your summer. Yes, yeah, so I, I realized that. Um, <laughs> so uh, I've had a great summer so far. A lot of time on the water. And you mentioned it. I am I am salty um, as I probably alluded to here that I, I swim almost every day in the ocean. And finally, although PJ was wishing that a shark would eat me, uh, finally, the odds caught up to me. And for the first time and I've been doing this for years now, for the first time ever, I got stung by a jellyfish. Wow. I had never been stung by a jelly. How big? Uh, how, I couldn't see it. So my, obviously my eyes are closed at salt water. So I'm swimming with my eyes closed, you know, doing my head out of the water breathing technique and just did a forward stroke with my left arm. And as it came down, it felt like I was putting my arm through barbed wire. It was like the Oof. immediate pain. And I'm soft. I mean, I have no pain threshold whatsoever. There's no question about it. And it felt like I was getting stung by a thousand bees. So I never, I never saw wow. it. Uh, not, nothing clung to me or anything like that, but I was almost at the, the destination, um, mooring that I swim to. And then I swim back and I've always been reading about like, you could, you know, have an allergic reaction, stop breathing, things like that. So of course I just swam straight to shore and like a little bit of panic set in. I was like, shit, I hope I don't, uh, uh, you know, don't die from this. Cause that would be, I mean, like I said, shark, fine. Jellyfish thing. No, no, that's like on the toilet. It's like on the toilet level dying. Right. <laughs> so so the worst part about this connor be, it was the second worst injury i've suffered this summer and the second first worst injury was because of it so what do you do when you get stung by a jellyfish what's like the first thing that you read on the internet that like people do uh pee on yourself exactly so it was on my arm on my wrist and on my like where like the the little area above you like between your where your elbow bends but on the inside i don't know what they call that part of your arm so that's where I got bit. And as I'm walking up the beach, I'm seeing it start to turn red and start to swell like all the way up my arm. So obviously having some sort of allergic reaction in the pain. Yeah. What's the pain level? Unbearable uh, is what we'll call it. it. It was again, I'm soft. If you go to the doctor's office and there's a scale of one to 10, like where, where are we on that scale? Unbearable. Uh, unbearable. You're at a 10. It was a 10. I'm soft, man. I don't, I don't take pain. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't ever get and do put myself in a, in a position to be in pain, physical or emotional pain. Well, emotional because I was a little scared that I was having allergic reaction. I might die. And then, you know, we wouldn't have ever done a, a, a podcast, um, you know, an ending podcast. Last podcast would have been the Lee Drew and I yuck fest that we had back in July. <laughs> so I didn't want that to be like my final, my final, um, appearance on uh, on the roundup yeah so and this was all this was all passing through your mind all, as you're as i'm walking up the street I, I live a few houses from the water so i'm, I'm scrambling up in my wetsuit uh, dripping wet in my wetsuit walking up wait 
if you're in a wetsuit, how'd you get stung? Because it's summertime, so I wear the wetsuit that's only half. So I have like the arm. Oh, it, okay. It's it doesn't have sleeves. So I, I don't know if you've seen my arm, Aqu- my arms lately. Yeah, Aquaman. You're going full Aquaman. Oh, yeah. I got it. Oh yeah, and my 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 biceps right now are as big as they've been in a long time. So I look pretty good going down the street. So at this point, I'm so confident when I walk down the street, I wear the wetsuit down to my waist. So I just like walk down and I like have like the wetsuit like you know walking like just just so that it covers the bottoms. But either way. So I have shorts, but either way, back to the story. I run up, I have an outdoor shower, uh, in my house. So I go around the back, uh, don't even strip out of my wetsuit, just go in and run the, run the hot water, trying to get a little relief, a little cold water, hot water relief. Nothing's happening. So strip off the wetsuit. I'm going to try to pee on myself. And as I said, I'm 60. I could pee at like on command at this point. I, I pee a lot, you know, 15 times a night, basically, as most people my age can, uh, can commiserate with so but where the stings were on my wrist and in my and my inner arm like i have to like you had to have the pee hit right why not just go get a cup because <sighs> i'm dripping wet. i got sand all over my feet i don't know it just like i was in panic mode so instead i bent down like picture me bending down wetsuit like at my ankles peeing on my arm like trying to angle and bend and bend and I wrecked my back. I like popped my back while I was doing that. And I couldn't I couldn't sit like stand up straight for like two days afterwards. Couldn't play golf, couldn't do anything. <laughs> so I, I hurt I hurt it's like the weakest injury. I hurt my back peeing on myself. <laughs> you can't make it up. And that's a true story. I hurt, hurt my back peeing I- on myself. No, I mean, you know, I know you tell a lot of false stories, but I believe this one. And um so this is a tough one to segue out of into anything. Well, then I go in and, of course, I run upstairs and get on the internet and, like, look up, like, remedies for um, jellyfish stings. And, of course, er- the first things I read is uh, peeing on yourself is an old wives' tale. It doesn't really work. And it didn't work. It gave me no relief. It basically made my arm smell like pee is basically the, literally the only thing it did. So, so what, what is the remedy in case we're, you know, let's break the myth right now. What's the right remedy? Uh, right remedy is I uh, went to the pharmacist uh, and uh, there's a pharmacy right down the road. And she said, well, you would stop breathing immediately if you were allergic and it was that kind of uh, jellyfish thing. So take take two Benadryl. And she gave me, I think it was lidocaine, the thing you, you spray for burns because that then when the pain subsided a little, then the arm just started to burn like people were holding matches to it. And wow. so I did that. And then they said to run your arm under 104 degree water, which I don't know how you're supposed to literally it said a hundred and obviously an odd temperature, right? 104 degree water. So, yeah. Um, so I, uh, I did that and six hours later, everything had subsided and all was good. Wow. This is a true hero's journey. We just heard some people, people sell courage PE. I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now. So yeah. And, wow. and, and you Connor <laughs> courage, courage underwater, courage um, under fire. Wow, um, I've been busy at work. Yeah, uh, I did um, a work streak that was reminiscent of U.S. squash. I, I worked um, thirty-five out of thirty-seven days. Whoa! You would think, yeah, you would have thought um, summer months w- in the athletic world or squash world would be um, a little bit less, but yeah, just busy time at the club and pushing that. So, I've been trying to make sure I take my weekends and kind of relax and uh went on a road trip recently um up north uh upstate new york which i thought would be four or five hours turns out it was like seven or eight Oof. and you know me me and driving so uh but i got it done and it was good to catch up with friends and playing around with ai really um yeah 
I try and sneak it into every conversation I can, but <laughs> it's been it's been fun to play with and and just it's pretty amazing what it can do. I wonder how you would feel because it might be better generating titles than you. How do you feel about that? I'm not too sure about that. Um, could we get an AI PJ on the show? Is it that level yet, or it just generates like um, generates the written word at this point? No, you could actually. So there's a way if we uploaded every like bit of squash TV that he's done, it would create a. It would. Yeah. Can we program yeah. it to say things that aren't really interesting or relevant, but because it's in an English accent, it makes it sound like the AI knows what it's talking about. So we could. So it could be authentic. So it could sound like PJ. I think it's all possible out there. Can, yeah. can can I ask like AI PJ like one question and have him talk for twenty five minutes and just put our whole audience to sleep? What can we do that? This is truly salty. What's what? Should, do we need to dive into this? What's going on? You know what, PJ? I mean, come on. I mean, we had this all planned, and then he 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 bails this morning. Some, something came up, chap. So unless I don't want to, Bill. If I know. if we want to go through, there's you also canceled recently too. To be fair, I got. Connor, I hurt my back peeing on myself. Come on, my dude. Okay. All right. I'm just saying. All right. Life happens. All right. All right. So I'll move on. I, I, my bitterness for PJ typically lasts until the next episode when we welcome with open arms because he lends our show great credibility. So I uh, I will I will um, vehemently deny everything that I just said and say, PJ, it's great to have you back. So there you go. So there's, there you go. So there, there is that. Um, <laughs> how, how, just one last thing on the summer. How hot has it been in D.C. this summer? You know, it was one of the things... And granted, I haven't been spending as much time outside, but when I do, I, I've been really enjoying it. It's been like a sauna, and I'm loving it. Yeah, so I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the heat, also. Um, and you can see, yeah. look at my. T- I mean, I am so tan; it's ridiculous. You know how you work 35 out of 37 days? I think I took 35 out of 37 days off. <laughs> I know, look, you're you're inspiration to many. You're an inspiration to many. <laughs> All right, so squash. So the squash. So there was a tournament last week, the Windsor Open, and it was a bronze tournament. And for some reason, Tarek Moman went and played it. I, I'm not quite sure why. Maybe he had some camps there to do, like why he would fly all the way from Egypt when the next tournament's in France. Um, I don't know, but you'd have to ask Tarek that. But we won't have Tarek on because we're not big Tarek Moman fans. So um, to ask him, but he he won the bronze tournament um, uh, pretty pretty handily. So um, it, uh, that's that launches. But the real season starts now. So we have a platinum event. All the best players in the world descended, uh, most of them uh, based on their social media feeds that I follow, landed in Paris the last couple of days and have been uh, a lot of shots of the uh, the Eiffel Tower, a lot of shots of a big wheel in Paris, which kind of looks like um, like the big wheel in London. I didn't know Paris had a big wheel like that. Um, so a lot. Yeah, the eye. Oh, is that what it is? That's the eye of London, right? No, eyes in London. Yeah. What's the France one? What is that? I don't know. I wonder if it's Olympic related. I'd never mm, seen it. Could be. So it's a big Ferris wheel, basically. But you see that. So starting tomorrow, uh, the tournament starts, and um, we're back. Uh, and, you know, looking at the season going forward, it's pretty packed um, early on. I was looking at the schedule. I mean, they play France this week, and then they go to, like, it, that ends, like, September 2nd, I believe. Yeah, so it would be next Saturday. And then they go to Qatar for another platinum event on the 9th come back from Qatar on the 16th and then the next, then there's Houston, which is an all women's event on the 27th. Um, but then the next event in October uh, is the U S open. So the first three tournaments that are men's and women's and that everyone's going to play in are all three platinums. Yeah. What's the reasoning behind that? Is there a reason behind that? Or is it just, that's when they could take place. That's when the promoters for those tournaments are putting up the money. So you go there. Cause it, it seems a little odd to have three tournaments of that level be, the three of the first four big tournaments of the year. I mean, to put this into context, so there's 36 world tour events, right? Yep. Going from bronze, silver, gold, yep. platinum, and then 
World Championships. Yep. Uh, of note, uh, 14 of them are taking place on U.S. soil, so it's over a third of the, the number of events here. Right now, events still very much are leading the charge on when events can be hosted. And they do try and make sure that events are spread out, but a promoter is really sort of leading the charge on that of like, hey, we got the cash, when can we do it? I think we'll see a, start to see a shift of where the PSA is really starting to run more events. And we've talked about a potential tour restructure coming for uh, not this season, but the following season. So that's going to cause a dramatic amount of uh, shifts and changes. But yeah, right now, I think we're, honestly, if you look at this, we're at the peak of the old structure. We're going to have another record prize money coming up. I mean, last season was... I mean, it's still low compared to other sports, but it's high for us. Right. And that's a really good trend. I think that's what we'll see in part of the change. Like when you look at, um, you know, the the tennis tour, it really does a better job of we're shifting from continent to continent. Mm-hmm. The travel there is less mileage and toll going back and forth. Um, I think that will be certainly uh, a, a factor for the tour structure. Yeah, for sure. So looking at the schedule after that going forward, a couple of things jumped out to me. Number one, there's still no venue for the world championships. It's on the mm-hmm. schedule, the date's there, but no venue. So not sure if that's related to Egypt's uh, continuing economic struggles, because if you do look at the, the tournament schedule, there is not, I mean, typically there's three or four um, Egypt tournaments sprinkled in. Right now, the only tournaments that are scheduled in Egypt that I'm looking at are like regular, regular tour events are there's a black ball gold and then the Alguna uh, platinum near the end of the season. Um, but otherwise, not a ton of Egypt, Egypt events in there. And I'm wondering if the, um, uh, the no venue currently for the world champs is, is related to that. Yeah, I don't know. So another, thanks, Connor. <laughs> thanks for that illuminating answer. We appreciate it. Um, uh, <laughs> this is why we need PJ to make something up. Um, no, so the other thing that jumped out to me, and again, this is me coming from a place of ignorance, shockingly, um, Nantes. So do you remember last year, Nantes, the the French event that uh, Victor Cruen won during it and after it was trumpeted as like a game changer for squash. And this is a (coughs) unreal event and other squash events need to mirror this and the entertainment aspect outside the court and Joey Barrington basically like gushed over it for months and months on how great Nantes was. No Nantes this year. I can't understand how that's possible with all the publicity that the PSA gave that event, with all the gushing, glowing reviews about this is how what squash should be, that there's no nonce event this year. And instead, I don't know if it's instead, but otherwise we basically get a glass court plopped in front of the Eiffel Tower, which is cool for a couple shots. But once it comes down to the squash, you're basically just playing squash on a glass court outside, right? I mean, isn't isn't that kind of true with any major venue yeah like what's yeah. well i've always you know me i've always been like hey it's really cool to drop a glass court by the pyramids but you know it's kind of sucks for the players because of the conditions uh it's probably a nightmare logistically for the people to put it on it's cool for the shots like the couple shots before after and maybe after but in the end it's like when the matches are going on it's a glass court and that's all that matters sure. so do they really need to like <laughs> wouldn't they have been better off taking the money that they're going to put into this tournament and turning nonce into a platinum event that was blown out like to epic proportions and build on that momentum from last year instead of no nonce. Well, it's a no nonce kind of year. Um, I like saying no nonce, by the way, just the FYI. Yeah, exactly. I picked up on that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think 
the novel concept of what is unique about the sport is we can drop these courts anywhere. But you and I know the the challenges of running a good event when it's a pop-up event versus what's a repeatable uh, venue or experience that can happen. So think of US Open when we did it at Drexel in the gymnasium versus now, hey, uh, at the Spectre Center, we can turn on the lights and it's ready to go. I, I, um, I, I do think... I don't know this for a fact, so I got to disclaim that, but I do think a factor for France would be, could we host two major events in one year or should we focus our energy on, on Paris? I probably would have done the focus on, if I had to choose, I would have done focus on Paris. It's only going to help it overall with the, um, the excitement of the Olympics coming up. Um, it's hard to beat when you're talking about iconic locations, the Eiffel Tower definitely pops up there. So, uh, I, I, I agree with you that the imagery that you'll get is basically the most important thing versus who, who knows what the experience would be like on the ground. But I'll tell you, I wish I could go. Oh, Scott, I would love to go to it for sure. And if the Olympics had squash in it in Paris, <laughs> I think it would be a no-brainer to do it where they're doing it. No-brainer. But the, the squash isn't in the Paris Olympics. So for this PSA tour itself, I would think a, a blowing out nonce deal would be better and just like – Basically, capitalizing on all the momentum from last year. I don't know. Maybe I maybe I got I got non, yeah, I got nonce fatigue last year and was tired of hearing the event and how great it was. And um, so maybe I was like, "Well, wow! I wish I could go there." And now I can't because there's no nonce. But, um, w- w- um, talk a little bit more about why you think Paris wouldn't be a good fit. I, I, it's a great idea, and being on the Alpha Tower, obviously, some very cool shots and maybe some publicity. And maybe during the Paris Olympics, they'll they'll show that because at that point. Squash may be in the 2028 Olympics, so they'll flash back and say, hey, this event took place in Paris in 2023. So that's that's possible. Yeah. So, uh, I th- so I'm not I against think when it. We look at- I'm, more, I'm more against the fact that they dropped nonce than they are. Um, and if it was if, if it was one or the other, if it wasn't one or the yeah. other, then then, you know, I don't know the inside politics. I mean, when you take a step back and look at the overall narrative of the sport, like I think this is an, another iconic venue and it's good. Um, we, we said we might touch on on the Olympics. So this it sort of touches on that of just like what you said, if we do get in the 2028, like this will be an important throwback to like, look at what was going on here. We just missed the 2024 Olympics, but now we're in the 2028. But so you, you said you did you're doing some deep dive on the Olympics. I was curious because because they're obviously the Olympic announcement, uh, pending announcements. It's interesting to me that there's no like set date for that. Everybody's saying like mid October, late October. You would think for something as important as this, there'd be like on October 16th, we will announce the four sports that are included in the Olympics. Right. But none of that. It's kind of such a mystery and has been it's been so quiet. And people have been so like there hasn't been any real publicity behind it. Makes me think um, that we're gonna that squash is gonna be the Olympics. That's my theory that we are in the Olympics for 2020. I have no inside knowledge of this whatsoever. It's just Bill's Bill's gut reaction. So that being said, and Bill's favorite part of this whole Olympic inclusion will probably be who qualifies for the Olympics and the inner fightings among the um, what, what do they call them the the uh, the Knox. Uh, NOCs, uh, which is uh, National uh, Olympic Committees, but the fighting to represent your country within these countries, because as you know, Connor, squashes it within each country, especially in the United States, the uh, the inner politics and the inner like nightmarishness of dealing with uh, players and parents and things such as that when it comes to like inclusion in anything. Can you imagine when the Holy Grail of the Olympics becomes a thing and 
hey, who's going? Who's representing who? Who's representing? What's the format of the tournament and everything? It's going to be glorious. Absolutely glorious. Yeah. Well, I, I'll speak quickly to the decision-making behind the IOC to get whether they allow sports in or out of the uh, Olympics. Really, in the past, they've actually very much presented, like, here's the timeline, here's the qualifications, here's what we need, this is how we're measuring it. But then when you map that to the output of what happens, it doesn't always match up. Like, at least in in, in my opinion, in my experience, uh, granted, I'm slanted because I really want squash in there, but now what they're doing is they've really, they've changed it where it's even more of a black box, where they're, they're being more opaque about the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as a difference where the IOC used to run the entire process, this is now being led by the Olympic Committee, or sorry, by the LA 2028 Committee. So they are running the selection process. I'm going to recommend it to the IOC. Got it. So there's a lot, there's a lot more leeway of what they want to do, um, and that's why it's not, um, not as clear. You can't do any campaigning. You can't do any of these things. So I, it's really a mystery of how it's going on, at least publicly. You asked about the format. What do you what do you think it's going to be? So I kind of look at what tennis did. So I figured it would probably might mirror tennis because very similar. You know, they have a pro tour you have to include rankings in this. So with tennis, what they did is they did for the single, and I'm just going to stick with singles because I have no idea whether if the, if, if squash gets into the 2028 Olympics, uh, whether they'll have a doubles component. I hope they won't because doubles on a singles court is kind of gimmicky to me. And I doubt they would, no, they would do, um, they build a double competition. You think they do a double, an actual softball doubles court and, and drop one. Yeah. Just when you look at what we do in the Pan Am games and the Commonwealth games, it's a full on the Pan Am game. The Pan Am games is they don't do that on a single score. They do it on an actual double score. When you do the Pan Am games. So the every four years where it's the biggest deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's in the off years because the Pan Am games happens every year. Sorry, the Pan Am right competition right and then it goes i forget what it's called there's fed cup but the biggest one is the games yep. so every games has the the proper court chile 2023 coming up soon coming up this fall by the way so um but yeah that's right so so with with tennis they have a 64 draw for singles 56 of those positions are done based on ranking like their their pro tour ranking as long as no country no knock if you will national olympic committee gets more than four so if you so egypt would basically would get screwed here in the end right because they would in the top in the top say say i don't know if in squash they would do 64 i don't, 64. I don't know if i would call it being screwed well right they, they, if they had out of the top 50 uh six players if they had 30 of them only four of them could get in the olympics so that's kind of getting screwed right not screwed but that's it, yeah. it's it's it doesn't there's not going to be a representation of the best players in the world at the olympics yeah but but at the Olympics, you want the representation yes. of... Agreed. And that's why they do it this way. Uh, of all the countries. Sure. Yeah. For sure. For sure. So that's how they do it in tennis. <laughs> and then and then what they do, and this is what I think will be great for squash. And by the way, the host country is guaranteed one spot. So if they didn't have otherwise have a player in, they would throw them in. So, um, you know, like they could grab, grab some random country and they could throw some junior player in there if they wanted. But what I think is cool about this, because also in regards to the countries that don't have... Um, a lot of players who are ranked in in that criteria, whatever the criteria may turn out to be, what it does is they take into account those national games, those continental competitions, like you mentioned, like the Pan Am Games, the Asia Games, and the Africa Games. So those those competitions that now in squash are kind of like 
an afterthought. They take place in the summer a lot, and nobody really cares about them. They don't get much publicity. Those those games now will have Olympic ramifications, with which I think will be great for the sport. It's just like another. It's like a you know because the Commonwealth Games, obviously, as we know, are in trouble, right? So they're canceled this year so far, anyways. Um, so if these continental games start to get a little more shine because there um, there's some Olympic inclusion, it may take the place of the Com Games. What do you mean? Take it'd be um, very similar, you know, with reduced draw size would be very similar. So call it, you know, probably a draw size of 24 or 32, depending. They want to make sure that many countries are represented, different paths way, ways in there. Um, I do think doubles will be in there. Um, so so, so when, tennis does doubles based on, so you can't play in the doubles unless you are in the singles. Yeah. So it's not like you do, there'd be separate people playing playing doubles, which in, in in tennis, you think it would, right? Like your favorite athletes of all time, the Bryan brothers, are never going to make the Olympics as singles players, right? So they're never going to be able to play Olympic doubles. So in the end, the best doubles players in the world aren't going to win the doubles gold medal. You know, I think us who are very familiar with the sport maybe don't see squash doubles as something big because it doesn't really occur right. except at these big right. games. Right. But, right. Um, you know, uh, it translates well to others to the outside media, uh, like the stories that were going on of seeing these wonderful athletes and especially the mixed doubles is what was most compelling to outside observers uh, who, were, who were sort of suggesting format criteria. The mixed doubles, like how often do you see male and female athletes um, at the top level performing on the same court? Every mixed doubles tournament in tennis. Yeah, but what other outside of racket sports? What else? When else does that happen? So it's still. I think it would be cool, and I think for the non-squash fan, like a person who's not a normal squash fan who's never really seen it before, doubles may be more fun to watch for them too than uh, than the singles. Exactly. So yeah, so so it will be a break from the traditional uh, or or the mainstream squash way of doing it. But this is this is how you get Olympic inclusion. And here to go in, you asked about how will. So that's set by the IOC of like what's the criteria to allow athletes or the distribution of, of countries representation, right? Then it shifts to the uh, loc- the um, uh, governing bodies to make the selection. So in the United States, that's the USOC, uh, United States Olympic Committee. And I had to participate in this, come up with the selection criteria in the Pan Am Games, mm-hmm. come up with the selection criteria, and then this goes through enormous vetting like months of vetting i was on a conference call with about i don't know 17 lawyers oh really <laughs> and represent oh yeah and they're just eviscerating my selection criteria or just poking holes at it well what about this because it goes through the same vetting process as swimming basketball right uh all right. Of these things so and i appreciated the process but there was also i don't think they appreciated squash you're like hey guys we've got three players in the top 50 like they're going right. right? <laughs> they wanted to make sure that there's a whole um, backup plan for this, and really, I we also saw the limitation of a not so well thought out selection criteria that we didn't field our best players. You know, partly because they didn't participate, right? But you know, right. literally, we're sending a 15 year old teenager who wasn't um, the best in the country, right? Right. Well, maybe she participate. Maybe we should just let the players vote on who goes. Like that seems it. to be that um, seems to be a trend. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, no. Um, so more curious, like when it comes to a country like Egypt in 2028 in that area, where I'm assuming they'll still be a power. I don't see any reason why not. And you're looking at the big players in Egypt right now, the 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 frogs. He'll be 30, 23. He's 31 right now. Uh, 37. So will he still be in the mix? El Shabagi would probably um, representing England would probably not be in the mix anymore. I imagine he'd be close to 40. So interesting will be um, Mustafa Asal uh, could be the uh, the biggest star at the at, at a 2028 Olympics. Yeah. That'd be that'd be yeah. <laughs> the stories behind that. I could just see because you know in the Olympics, right? It's not just about the event when you turn into NBC or whoever's covering it. You watch eight hours of behind the scenes, like mini stories about the people's lives. Can you imagine they'll show like every time he got banned and by 2028, under over how many times is Asal going to be banned? It could we could be like. 30 or 40 times at that point. Yeah, this, this, I mean, the storytelling is um, what has elevated the Olympics, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and credit to Comcast NBC for really driving that. Thanks, Brian Roberts. Yeah. Ex- so, exactly. So, so, and so just to wrap up the Olympics talk um, and why I think we're going to be in just the confluence of the situation, you have Mark Walter just pumping a ton of money into the PSA tour. Mark Walter is lives in Los Angeles. Mark Walter owns the Dodgers and the Lakers. The Olympics in 2028 are in Los Angeles. It's hard to believe. And you could say what you want. And as you said, the organizing committee in LA has the, you know, is the one who are going to make this decision. Um, hard to, well, or recommendation. recommendation. How, how is it possible that squash isn't, isn't going to be like right there in that decision? It's almost impossible, right? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm actually enjoying your optimism here. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so, I'm so optimistic. I mean, the, the confluence of, of circumstance, if they don't, if it doesn't make it for 2028, it's not making it. So, yeah, I, I do. I do agree. I think the, I think the stars are aligned that we have the highest, if not now, then when, um, I just have seen this turn south so many ways that, um, I don't have, I don't share the optimism, but I, I recognize the stars aligning confluence, uh, confluence of circumstance, Connor. I made that, I just made that up. So let's push that forward and maybe more people will use it. <laughs> You're going to trademark that and uh, make t-shirts. Exactly. Yeah. Throw, show the rivers. I think confluence is mostly used when rivers combine, right? Like it's a confluence of the Allegheny and the Mahangahela and stuff like that. But Connor, right. I have one question. To, to, they asked Rami Ashore what it would mean for him to be in the Olympics. You remember what his answer was? Yeah, everything. Every shing. He said every shing. <laughs> I think that's why we didn't get in. <laughs> wow, just mocking people's accents. Okay. I laugh, you know, I laugh every time you, I watch that. Met- All right. So let's let's before we go too far too long, let's take a look at players mm-hmm. that with the 2023-24 season upon us. Players who you think are gonna make an impact this year, Connor. Yeah, obviously there's the normal the, the normal Farags, the El Shabagis on the men's side. There's the Amis, the El Shabinis, and the and the Gohars on the women's side. Anybody else you're looking for this year, maybe who hasn't made their mark, maybe could win a big tournament, maybe win a platinum, maybe someone else besides those the normal names? I'll say this isn't my forte, frankly. You know, once I start seeing how they come out of the gates, I'll, I'll be able to have a better uh, insight. It's just tough. Like, uh, you can make the most amount of gains in this off season. I mean, look at Nelly Gillis and what what she's um, on track. So, like, she'd be one to watch, obviously. But um, outside of that, I don't know. It's it's. I need to see. The, I need. I need to see the uh, them perform, and then you can kind of map that for the future. Uh, 
what's going to happen this season. So, so you're not believing the Jasmine Hutton hype is what you're telling me? I mean, I mean, that's certainly an indication. Like, look at that performance. Like, wow, winning the, the British Nationals um, wouldn't have predicted that. So, yeah, I mean, Georgina Kennedy, what's going on? Is she healthy? Mm. If she's healthy, then well, she hasn't been in a, over a year. Yeah, I mean, she really fell from grace. Uh, on, the, on the women's side, since we're talking about the women, obviously, Gohar, Sherbini, Hamami, I don't see anything upsetting, upsetting that apple cart. They're all still young. They're all at the top of their game by the at the end of last year. So I don't see anyone, may, maybe a Taeb jumping in there. I don't know if Gillis has the game to, to, to crack that. There, she may pull an upset or two based on her fitness and on her just her tenacity. But I don't really see anyone in the women's game cracking those three. But I'm wondering the next level. So will we see a resurgence from uh, Norel Taeb uh, coming off a, a very solid season last year, her first season back after her pregnancy? Amanda Sobey. In her 30s, is she going to make a push and win a big platinum event? Uh, Olivia Fichter. Um, so any of those players um, jump out to you, do you think can can do something uh, like a Tayeb or a, you know, a Fichter, a Sobe or a Gillis? I personally don't think so. I think, like you said uh, before, the top three is pretty entrenched. I think you'll get people, you know, that number four spot, I think will be what's what becomes possible to see who, who gets that. Mm-hmm. And, and the, how many times do you think the number one We'll switch back and forth. Yeah, I have a little number one fatigue. I was looking at all the articles that got popped out this week about the permutations of Paris, and if so-and-so wins, they become number one. If so-and-so wins, but this person doesn't make the final, they become number one. The whole the whole weekly number one things has kind of like muted my enthusiasm. The, the only time that that will really become interesting is when someone hasn't achieved it. Yeah, 100%. Right? 100% that, I, th- I, I totally agree with that. Or if like a Gawad, who was number one in the world at one time, comes yeah. back and becomes number one again. That would, oh, yeah. that would be cool. So I'm, that'd be cool. Speaking of uh, on on the men's side, um, well, on the women's side to finish up, I want to see if Rowan L. Robbie finally makes that leap. She mm-hmm. was a world junior champion two years ago. She seemed like she was hungry to get and get after Sherbini, get after um, Gohar and get after Hamami. But I want to see if she's because she's still young. She's one of those folks that I see like if there's 2028 Olympic inclusion, she could be part of that because she's so young and just starting out her career. Other one is Satomi Watanabe, which her being Japanese would be huge on a national stage if she becomes and cracks like the top five and like makes a push towards number one in the world. Not that she might, she probably doesn't have the game to do it right now, but a Japanese player, anytime there's a Japanese player in any professional sport who performs at the highest levels, the media coverage is just off the chain, be it in golf, be it in tennis. I mean, uh, be it in uh, in baseball, a- any sport. I mean, I remember when Hideki Matsui played for the Yankees, he had like 40 Japanese reporters following wherever he went. So that that mm-hmm, kind of thing mm-hmm. would be great for the sport. So on the men's side, would love to see Gawad make a, make a run because that, that would be a great story. We, and we could hear all about his um, miracle doctor who cleared his, uh, cleared up his bone spurs or his plantar fasciitis. Um, yeah. And uh, Dasuki, I think. Uh, I'm looking for a year. If Dasuki could uh, keep his wits about him. I mean, he's, he's the best player in Egypt who should have been suspended more than a Sal who hasn't been as, as suspended as much as a Sal. If that's, if that's a, you know, a, something you'd be recognized as he's, he's probably yeah. worse behaved on court than a Sal does worse things on court than a Sal, but gets, uh, gets suspended less than a Sal. And, uh, that brings us to the elephant in the room. All these events to me have a huge asterisk on them because of Noah Sal in the draw. I mean, he, he's, he is arguably the best player in the world. Him and he and Ali, 
and he's not going to be able to play in three platinum events to begin the season. I think it's just awful for the sport. When you say awful for the sport, what do you mean? I mean, I, I, I would, I, I would, I'm going to watch this stuff anyways. But with him thrown into the him in the draws, it makes those events much more compelling. For better, you know, whether yeah. it's for good reasons or bad reasons, they're compelling, and they lose a little bit of luster. Yeah. there and to know he's not going to be here until like uh, november is, is a little disheartening i mean harshest suspension i think is it ever 12 weeks uh yeah. 12 weeks for conduct on court versus there's been one year suspensions given out because of violation of drug policies mm-hmm. but that's that's really mandated more by the anti-doping yeah those those kind of things out here so this is i think the largest conduct suspension we should get we should get our researcher on that. Exactly. Well, you know who the big winner is in all of this, the Grasshopper Cup. I mean, why why do you say that? That'll be his first tournament back. Oh yeah, so yeah, a, yeah. A, a, a coming off these unreal, highly publicized platinum events, uh, we're gonna we're gonna the light is gonna shine on the Grasshopper Cup. So one last thing before we go, um, question for you. So I, I read this. Uh, and then also uh, anecdotally heard from some folks who, who gave me a little inside information that uh, U.S. number uh, number two, Olivia Fichter, is now being coached full time by Rodney Martin. And curious, and I, this is why I wish PJ was here because maybe he could give me because there's probably been um, probably been instances of this before. So in Paris, and I don't know if Rodney Martin's going to be there or not. I have no inside information, so he may be in Paris, may not be. Do not know. Gohar and Fichter are going to play each other, scheduled to play each other in the third round if everything goes according to Hoyle. What happens then? Like, what, what does Rodney Martin do at that point? I mean, more often than not, what I've seen is when you have a coach with the two, the multiple players or two players, uh, the coach doesn't get involved in that match. Let's them kind of fend for themselves. That's typical. Now, what you won't see is, will he spend time with the individual before, right? Uh, that will be happening, and then you do the post, but... When when you do that, it's unfair. And plus, you don't have enough time to go back and forth. No, for sure, right. understand that. So, so speaking of the, uh, you know, not in in game match, obviously, it would be very awkward, and that that whole thing would be very awkward. Uh, like, what do you do? Like, do you tell Gohar, look, yeah, I've been hitting, I've been coaching Olivia now for a few months. Here's her weaknesses, and this is how you're going yeah. to exploit her. And does and do you do that? And it's one thing. So Olivia is a bit below Gohar in standard, right? So Gohar should beat her. But Olivia could pull that. She's pulled off bigger, big upsets, so she can beat her. Sure. So what? What is? What does Rodney? What does Rod Martin do? Like, does he? Like, it, it's just an odd situation to be coaching two players of that high level. Who, are, if you look, they're gonna they might meet each other like every platinum tournament for this. They might meet each other four times in the next two months. Again, I don't want to speak for every coach, but some of the coaches I know because they've experienced this is you coach them, you 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 lay it all on the line. You give them the best advice you can. You're trying to root for them. So even when you have the strategy, the game plan, and all that, it comes down to how do you execute on court. Mm-hmm. 100%, so. 100% the case. But that being said, Connor, these coaches, and uh, and again, I'm not a player, so I don't have the answer. I've always been like a little suspect. I understand like the the off-the-court coaching is important, but like the whole on on during match coaching to me is a bit overrated. But these coaches, Rob Owen, Rodney Martin, um, YL, um, Aziz, all these coaches are get so much publicity that they're the reason that their players are so strong and they're the reason that the players are so successful. It just seems, I mean, if you were Noah and Gohar, would you like say, like, what's up with this? Like, I don't want you telling my uh, Olivia Fichter, like what my weaknesses are and like where to, where to exploit me. Like, and how could he not and still be doing his full job as coaching? It's just, to me, it's yeah. very weird. When you look at 
tennis, which is by comparison, a major industry, like these are hard dollars going on that, uh, the ramifications of a coach like Rodney taking on another player might get go hard elite. Right. Right. Because then that's a point of vulnerability. So the coach switching, we're now just starting to see, I think you were calling them super coaches. Super coaches. Is that what you had? Yeah. Super coaches. Confluence of super coaches. Where you have the coaches becoming part of the, the the narrative and the cast of characters we're talking about, and there are coaching camps. This happens in tennis, mm-hmm. and the switching around of finding your right coach in tennis happens all the time. For just sometimes it's like, hey, we've been working the other two years, but I'm not achieving the performance I want, or it's not going well, and you switch for that. Uh, but certainly, who that other coach comes in, you may have non competes or exclusivity. Um, Sorry, you wouldn't have non-competes, but you'd have potentially exclusivity with a coach. You know, this is, I I think each relationship would be slightly different, but generically speaking, coaches are going to give as much as they can without, um, you know, to coach them perform the best. Mm. They may hold back certain secrets, you know, like if I, if I knew that uh, one player was slightly injured, I might not disclose that because that would be an a unfair advantage, but you could still disclose, hey, what we all see with my unique insights, um, I, I would share that, but maybe not how they're doing uh, personally. Yeah, I guess I guess that's fair. So I'm going to take a quick look at the rankings just to see. Uh, I think Olivia's like number... She's nine right she's now. She's nine. So she's nine. So... Olivia Fichter, picture like she has, like, you know, Rodney coaches her, does a great job coaching her. And next thing you know, she's moving up and she's like in the top five. And that that means she's fighting for that number one position and she has the same coach as the number one player in the world. I look forward to it. I think it's going it, to, it'll make for awesome talking points. I look forward to, uh, to, to seeing how that develops and uh, down the road because I think it's a, a little sidelight to look at for sure. Yeah. So great. All right, Connie, you seem excited about that topic. So uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Just know that I've been, uh, we could, we could get Rodney Martin on and ask him what thoughts, thoughts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that went well. It went, it went so well the first time. All right, Connor, it was good right, seeing you. Likewise. Hey, PJ. What are your thoughts? What are your, exactly. See All right, man. Bye. Take care. Thanks for listening to another show on SQR Squash Radio. We really do appreciate you taking the time to listen. And we have a quick ask. In an effort to help us grow, if you have a quick minute, please consider sharing an episode with a friend who might be interested or leaving a rating on any of the platforms you listen to your podcast. It would mean a lot to me and the rest of the team. Thanks so much and have a great day.